Good evening. My name is Kimberly Lee, and I am the E-Groups Director here at Element City Church. I'm also a mom of three kids and a special education teacher. So I basically live my life in messes. Just lots of little messes all day, every day. I want to ask you tonight, what's one of the biggest messes you've ever made? What's one of the biggest messes you've ever made? Maybe it was simple as a jar of spaghetti. You know, the glass jars that you take out of the pantry and they fall and they smash on the floor. And then a year later, you're looking up and you're going, how did that spaghetti sauce get on the ceiling? And then you'll find it in random places. You're like, it got all the way over here. Salsa does the same thing. It's a mess. When I was 19 years old, I got a job at a ritzy restaurant and I had to serve alcohol and it was closing time it was 10 o'clock at night and a group of 25 people from the German consulate came in and sat down and of course you know if you've ever been in restaurant business you don't want anybody to come in 15 minutes before you're about ready to close they ordered a ton of alcohol I was 19 I didn't even drink at that time I didn't know much about alcohol but I had this big tray the big brown trays full of alcohol and I'm walking by and I stand behind this lady and I said ma'am don't scoot back of course she's German I'm English I don't know what she's saying she probably doesn't know what I'm saying and she does exactly that she rears her head back and this entire tray of alcohol dropped on her head and on the guy's next to me's bald head, the guy that was sitting next to her, he was bald. And I mean, it was pouring and it wasn't one or two drinks. I'm talking, it, well, 20. There was 20 drinks on there, probably worth four or $500. It went all over the table, all over them. I mean, it was a mess. And she rears back, gets out of her chair, starts yelling and screaming at me in German, of course. Sounded very harsh. Uh, my boss says, so that's kind of a mess. You need to go home. I mean, he just sent me home. There was no even way to, to they didn't want me to serve them anymore. And needless to say, I didn't get the tip that night from that table. I went home empty handed and I thought how much money I would have made on that table. But it was a huge mess. And some of you are thinking, yeah, I've been kind of there. And th those are simple messes, although embarrassing. But what if it's a more serious mess? Something like a car accident that is your fault that's going to cost a lot of money. Or, it's okay, Brian, you just ran into that thing. You didn't mean to. It's okay. Or a bad relationship choice. Your marriage might be a mess. Your finances might be a mess. In fact, when you think about these messes, you don't even know how to deal with it. You don't even, you can't even imagine how to unpack it. So what you want to do is you basically want to run away. Put your head in the sand and just, I can't deal with this. Or how about if you see a person you know is a hot mess walking towards you and you're thinking, you know what, they've caused some of this. This is, you know, it's this issue. I know this person. And, and you're just thinking, uh, I should probably ask them a question or how they're doing, but I don't even want to bother. I, I, it reminds me of Pigpen, you know that Pigpen of, um, with a blanket and the cloud of dust going all around him? When, if you see that Pigpen coming around and you're just like, ooh, no way. 
I'm gonna run the other way. And so we know people like that in their life. You might be one of them that just, you're kind of just a cloud of mess wherever you go. I'm actually a little bit that way myself. You don't even wanna deal with it. Tonight, we're gonna look at a story, a parable, that it's kind of a mess. And it's, it's one that we've all heard, even if you're not a Christian, you've heard about the Good Samaritan. And don't sit here and go, oh no, not another Good Samaritan story. I need you to hang with me. Because we're gonna look at it from a different viewpoint. We're gonna look at it from a different viewpoint, which I'll unpack a little bit later. So if you turn with your Bibles to Luke 10, if you have them, if you don't, the verses will be on the screens. Oh my God, I forgot. Or the TVs, oh, there they are. <laughs> uh, usually the screen was behind me. They'll be Luke 10, Luke 10, 25 through 29. That's where we're gonna start. And just so you know, the, the words have gotten smaller in my Bible again overnight. I don't know what's happened. Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, this guy is a lawyer that's asking Jesus this. He's an expert in the law. He is well-read. He knows exactly what Jesus is saying. But he's trying to find a loophole. He's trying to find a way around, like, what, is, what does Jesus really mean by neighbor? You know, Jesus says, love God, love others, and we do that too. What do you really think he means by others? And we've got people on our list. I don't think Jesus meant that person. She, Jesus would totally understand that person's gray, gray. I mean, we have that in our list. Or, oh, not that person. Because I don't know how to deal with them. I have nothing in common. I don't know how to deal with it. So we like to define or justify what others mean also, don't we? Luke 10, 30. A man, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Just to set some context to where we are, Jericho and the road to Jericho to Jerusalem is, is a death trap. It was actually known as the bloody road, the way of the blood, because it was every, people got murdered and robbed and beaten all the time on this road. It was like the ghetto of the ghetto, like near my house, the ghetto. It was bad. So that, I just wanna give you a, some context of what this road was. It was a long, winding road. Verse 31. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, sorry, the words keep going. <laughs> so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for extra spe any expense. So that is what, you have three guys. 
a priest, a Levite, and a, and a Samaritan. Why a Samaritan? So the guy that Jesus is talking to is Jewish, and the guy on the side of the road is Jewish. So why do you think he chose a Samaritan? Because the Samaritan and the Jews, they hated each other. They hated each other, hardcore. The Jews had destroyed one of the main temples of the Samaritans, and the Samaritans had desecrated the Jewish temple during Passover by putting human bones in it. I mean, they did not like each other. It wasn't simple like, ooh, he looked at my man. She looked at my man. You know what I mean? It wasn't like that. These is like true hatred for generations and generations. So why is Samaritan a hero? Why, could, you know, why couldn't he say, you know what? There was a good Jewish guy that walked down the road and you know we're Jewish so we all gotta keep our culture strong. I need you to be a good Jewish person and help your Jewish friend. That's not what Jesus did. He chose a Samaritan as the hero, the exact opposite of who this Jewish guy was. I mean, the Samaritan could walk the other way and everybody would totally understand, like, oh yeah, that's a Jewish guy. We don't, we don't get along. But Jesus wanted to help us see how serious he meant by neighbor. He wanted to tell, show it how serious he meant by others. He doesn't, Jesus is saying, I don't care about your bigotry. I don't care about your prejudice. I don't care about your opinions or your judgment. I don't even care if you hate that person. I want you to love your neighbor. That's what he meant by that. I mean, we get that part. We've, if we've heard that story, we get that part. But what if instead of putting ourselves in the position of person one, two, or three, because you know we like doing that, don't we? Ooh, I really hope I wouldn't be the guy number one or number two. I mean, on Monday, I might be the one that walked by because Monday's really busy for me. But I'm hoping that I would be guy three. I'm hoping I would be the Samaritan. And this is why I, I think that I would help somebody, but I might not touch them if they're bloody because there's all these OSHA laws and that could be gross. I'm not sure what I would do with that. And, you know, um, I'm not sure I would give them money to stay. I'd be like, hey, innkeeper, can you donate? the inn because this guy's bloody on the side of the road. He's not my friend. Can you help me out? Or I might give him money to help, you know, the innkeeper pay for it, but I don't think I'd come back out of my way. It's not like he had a car that could go and, I mean, it was a long walk back and forth where this guy was coming from. So imagine the time it took to come back and check on him. And what if it costs more money? And in fact, I might be guy three if I had my friends with me so that I would be protected because it is about safety and I wouldn't want to take on the responsibility myself. So I might start a GoFundMe page for them, which I love, and we'll have that. And, and I just don't want this responsibility on me. So yes, yes, I am guy three. I'm guy three with some exceptions. And it, it makes herself feel better. I feel better already makes ourselves feel better. Because we're hoping and praying we're guy three if we were put in that situation. Just so you know, we had some like that, some, that situation and I was not guy three. We're driving in our neighborhood. It's not above river. We're below river. And it's late at night. We'd been at friends. The kids are in the back seat of the car and there is a guy laying in the middle of the road. I kid you not. I was like, oh, there's a guy laying in the road. And what my first thought is, 
Brian better not stop. He better not stop. The kids are in the car. What if this guy was a killer? Oh my gosh, he's got probably his drugs or alcohol. I mean, he didn't look dead. He just looked there. So in my mind, of course, I'm not saying any of this out loud. You don't say this stuff out loud. You think it in your head. But of course, what does Brian do? Hey, there's a guy in the middle of the road. I think we should stop. No, don't stop, honey. I was like, well, maybe you should take me and the kids home first. And he's all, well, I'm just going to check to see if he's okay. So of course, Brian gets out and checks if he's okay. And he was drunk and he got up and he walked away and it was fine. He was a little bloody, he got beaten up somewhere along the line. But, you know, and Brian's like, do you think I should go back? All these things. So of course, Brian's number three and I was guy number one or two. So we think, oh, I think we'll be that way until the situation happens. But even instead of putting ourselves in the position of the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan. What if the lawyer, or what if we put ourselves in the position or identify more with the guy laying on the side of the road, bleeding to death? What if we put ourselves in his position? I mean, imagine that. Imagine that. And what if the good Samaritan is Jesus? And, and who put himself in the path of danger, took on our suffering even though he knew we caused it, and poured out all his resources, in fact his life, just to save us. Imagine that. What if you were bleeding to death on the side of the road and your only hope was for a person who didn't like you very much and in fact owes you nothing? Could you imagine that rescue story of that kind? I mean, if you were rescued in that way, wouldn't your life be different? Drastically, mind-blowing, eternally different? Remember a few years ago, there was the, the mining accident in Chile where the miners got caught down in the mine shaft and um, it was a big, big thing all over the news and they finally figured out how to, to get them out and they, they had it on film, on TV, and you're watching them and every single person came up cheering and celebrating. Do you think that those miners looked at life differently? Do you think they thought, whoa, I just came out of an impossible situation. People put their life on the line for me. That's an amazing rescue story. But our story with Jesus is a hundred times that. Our story with Jesus is a hundred times that. God gave his only son, his innocent son, to die on the cross for our sins. Knowing that we were probably going to be disobedient, reject him, and turn away from him. And, and, you don't have to earn it. You don't, you can't buy it. You don't work for it. It is a gift. It is free. He loves us so much, he will go to the ends of the earth to tell us, 
I love you that much. Can you imagine that kind of grace and that kind of love? When we embrace that truth, that we've received that kind of love and that kind of grace, then we become givers. We can become givers of that kind of love and that kind of grace. Because that's kind of how it's supposed to work. When you receive something, then you can give it back because you've experienced it. The word Jesus uses for the word compassion in these verses, that, the, the, that he felt for the man, the Samaritan felt for the man on the side of the road, translates as compassion from the deepest part of your soul. The deepest part of your soul. Jesus is talking a little bit less about just action, but an overwhelming emotion, a compelling desire to help that comes from your, the depths of your soul, like your gut, your belly. That's not just, ooh, I think I should help. This is like, I gotta help. I gotta help, because I've been rescued. God's not about rule followers. All you firstborns, you're like, oh, he's not. That's depressing. Because that's about the law. It's about checking boxes. God wants people who love like him, who respond like him, and that kind of love can't be produced by the law. It can only be if you've experienced that kind of love and that kind of grace. You've heard the golden rule, right? Do unto others as, oh wow, you guys are mumbly group tonight, right? Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Jesus taught that. Today, he's telling the platinum rule. The platinum rule. He is saying, do unto others as Jesus has done for you. Because you know what? If we're a jerk, then we can just expect other people to be jerks, and so we're fine. Jerks and jerks, that's totally fine. But now Jesus is saying, nope, that's not gonna fly. I want you to do unto others as I have done for you. And when we think about what Jesus has done for us, I'm hoping the cross comes to mind. He gave his life. Well, what does that mean? But we see this time and time again. Those who experience the gospel develop this, this uncontrollable impulse to be generous and this insane time to be forgiving. They can forgive things that is beyond forgivable. In 2015, in Charleston, a guy went in and murdered a bunch of people that were sitting in church. And when you see the victim's family on TV, they weren't saying justice, which they were entitled to. They were saying to the murderer, we're praying for you. We're praying for your family. We forgive you. No, that doesn't make sense. Or when there was a lady who, who her daughter was murdered and she went every week for 15 years to, to visit her daughter's killer to tell him there's a God who loves you. We're praying for you and we forgive you. In fact, when you get out, we will be your family because he didn't have any. I don't know about you, someone killed my daughter. I'm not gonna be going to visit him. To be, I can't even imagine. 
I'd have my friends go visit him in jail, have a chat. These, this is unimaginable. This is not something flippant. Where do you get that kind of love and that kind of forgiveness? They did not do this because they wanted to earn their salvation. They did this because something great was done for them. That's, that's mind-blowing. Unlike the, the lawyer from Jesus' story, we don't love our neighbors because we have to do great things, because that's our boxes to check. We love our neighbors because Jesus loved us. He loved us first, you guys. That kind of love, the cross, our faith, our rescue story, should move us, should lead us to action. It should lead us to action. That's a big faith. Let, thank you. I know, I need to hear at least amen somewhere around in there. Verses 10, 30, chapter 10, verses 36 through 37. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The experts in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go is an action verb. I'm a teacher, just helping out. Go is an action verb. Jesus doesn't say, hey, pretty please, with a cherry on top. Or let's brainstorm, I've got some ideas, some suggestions for you folks. He, he's not saying that. Jesus said a command. Go and do likewise. Go and do. This wasn't a suggestion. Pity notices. Compassion acts. Pity notices. Compassion acts. If we know this is what Jesus wants from us, you're sitting here going, oh, I know, I know that's what he wants from us. Why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? Well, what stops us from having that? I mean, think of a guy on the side of the road. When the Samaritan stopped, it was dangerous. He, I mean, he could have got robbed or mugged or killed. It was, it was dirty. I mean, you're talking about a lot of, um, you know, I mean, he, he rubbed oil on his wounds. My own kids, I'm like, oh, there's blood. Call your father. He had to give his money. I mean, he earned that money, those hard-earned hard resources, and his time. So the reason we don't is because it's a mess. It's a big mess. It's inconvenient. One of the reasons we don't have compassion is because it's not very convenient. We are way too busy. We don't have any room in our schedule to help people. Yes, I would like to help you, but can I get back to you on Wednesday at five? And it's only gonna be five to 5.22, because then I have to go blank, 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 blank. Our schedules are that tight. Believe me, we have a tight schedule. The priest and the Levite, they weren't bad people. I bet they were going to do good things. I bet they were gonna go maybe to even do a church revival somewhere, a temple revival. They were doing good things. What we're doing most of the time, most of the time, we're doing good things. 
But if they're going to get in the way of Jesus' desires, we've got a problem. Compassion might even be getting in our way of, of our love for money. We've got to work. We've got to work to pay bills, to get cute shoes. I mean, we've got to work. But sometimes our desire for the money, we don't want to let go of it. So, I mean, this guy helped him. And you know what? Those, that guy on the road didn't deserve it. What if he was a bum? What if he put himself in that position? What if he was begging for money? What, we, we have all these things of why we don't have to be generous. It's not convenient. Compassion might take away from your family time. Don't get me wrong. I love my family. I love hanging out with Brian. I love hanging out with the kids most of the time. I have very good boundaries of, of saying no to things because I want to be with them. But we can't make our families an idol. Again, if it gets in the way all the time of Jesus' desires for our lives or his commandments, you need to be praying and discerning about what we're saying yes to and what we're saying no to. And families can become idols really quickly. We gotta show our kids that, that following Jesus is a grand adventure. At least it's okay for some of us here. You know you're too busy. You know you're too busy when you see many people as inconveniences rather than opportunities. You know you're too busy when you see people as inconveniences rather than opportunities. Let that sit for a second. As literally we're at the store last night, late at night getting something for Lawson and I said, Brian, don't you dare go talk to that person right now because I am, we have got to get home with those kids. You're seeing a theme here, right? Yep. Yep. I call it boundaries, whatever. Comfort, another reason that we don't like to, we might not show compassion is our comfort zones. We love our comfort zones. Don't ask me to do that. That's too hard. I'm shy, I can't do that, I'm not gonna talk, I'm not gonna lift, I'm not gonna do that. Don't ask me to do that, comfort zones. But guess what, nothing much happens in your comfort zones. Nothing much happens in your comfort zones. You will never see the best version of yourself if you do not get out of your comfort zone. God uses chaos to mold us and shape us to serve him. So your best version of you. So many times we hear, well, I can't go to this church, the music's too loud, or that no one likes a lady preacher up there. I can't do this. I don't feel fed. I don't, I don't want this. I didn't get much out of it, blah, blah, blah. And you, I feel bored. I don't want to go to church. Some of you teenagers are like, I'm so bored. It's hard to be bored with your face, face if you're addressing the messes. It's hard to be bored the board, the, to, with your faith if you are getting engaged in what God is doing around you. I am never bored. I don't, there's not a bored moment. Part of it's our busy schedule. But a lot of it is because I want to engage, sometimes begrudgingly, but I do want to engage with people. 
God's saying, I just need you to engage with the messes that are in front of you. Another reason that stops us from act, um, acting out on compassion is, is control. I need some of you to be like, amen, I'm controlling. Mm-hmm. Because we like to fix things. We like to fix things. We like to solve problems. We need to control the solutions. If we t- we, we're going to help the mess. We're going to help the person that's a mess. But we're going to do it. They got to do it this way, this way, this way. And if they don't, we're going to take it personally. Because now they've hurt our feelings. And you know what? I've tried. I'm done. Hasta la vista. But guess what? People are not projects. We, you, me, we are not in the business of changing hearts. We are not even in the business of changing lives. Oh, if I help this person, I'll help change their lives. I'll get them on a trajectory for the future, and I will. It's actually not your job. That's Jesus' job. Jesus just wants you to go alongside with them, love them, be with them. He doesn't want you to fix them. That's really hard for us. In his book, Crazy Love, Francis Chan, this is gonna be painful, so I just need you to sit in this for a second. In the book, Crazy Love, Francis Chan says, people who do not act on their beliefs are lukewarm. Lukewarm people care, um, are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not act. Lukewarm people assume that such actions are for extreme Christians, like that's for Jack and Brian and those people who do that good stuff. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expects of all his followers. And the bad news is, Jesus will tell us, I will, I will spit lukewarm people out of my mouth. There's, there's no way of getting around that. We, we have been rescued. We have an amazing story. What if Element City Church decided to show grace and love like we were shown? What if today we said we are not going to be the church, we are not gonna be the people that walk by the man dying on the side of the road? We're not gonna do that. Because we have a God who loved us first. We have a God that loved us so much he, he hung his son on the cross for us. We're going to love others this way because we're compelled in the depths of our soul to love and help others. Well, what's this mean? Because you know we can't all be Brian's. I'm reminded of that every time I go to the store. God's asking you to move towards a mess. I need to say that again. Move toward a mess. 
The key word in there could be a. Some of you are like, a mess. I don't want any mess, actually. I'm a very clean person. That's a little bothersome. And some of you are like, she means every mess. And you're so involved in everybody's messes that you don't do anything effectively. This is where prayer and discernment comes in. God is asking us to walk along somebody. Maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's your boss. Ooh, that would be hard if he was asking me that. Please don't do that, Jesus. Uh, maybe it's your family member, maybe it's your cousin, maybe it's your Starbucks person. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you on either side or just down the aisle. What if the person sitting next to you is hurting or is a mess right now and they need people to walk alongside of them? And we sit in church and we praise Jesus and we love Jesus and we hear his word, but we never ask the person next to us, hey, you okay? Because I'm here to tell you right now, I know a lot of our stories in here and we're not okay. We're not okay. We are hurting. We are, at, well, Brian and I in this season from January to, to January to June, I was like, what month is it? This is supposed to be the most intense time of our life in 22 years. We are not okay. And I bet somebody near you is not okay. The next thing is don't wait. Don't wait till you have more time. You won't. Don't wait till you can fit it in. You won't. Don't wait till you get yourself together. You won't. Let's just be honest, we're probably not gonna get ourselves together. We don't have to clean up our act first to help someone. Love does not take perfection. God uses messy people to love messy people. In fact, I bet the hotter mess you are, the more love you can give. Because you know how desperate we are for that. Move towards a mess and don't Wait, why, why, why should we do this? To get a gold star, to check a box, to get a pat on the back being like, hey, look what I did, cool. To, to get noticed for, from Jesus, maybe get a bigger mansion, I've heard we could, maybe I get a good mansion, mansion with some, some best special jewels there. No. We are going to love like this and show grace like this because we have a Jesus who did that for us. For us. He rescued us. God moves towards you. He's asking you to move towards others. And if you ask, well, what does that look like, Kimberly? How much is too much? I don't know. But then I ask you, how much did God give when you think of the cross? And we have this hope in the depths of our soul that we've got a God that loves us that much 
And we should be excited about that rescue story. Like those miners, we have a rescue story that's amazing. Tonight, as we go into communion, and how we do communion here is we have stations on the sides and on the sides up here up front. If you don't have a rescue story, if you don't even know what this thing about Jesus is, come talk to me, Brian, Lyle, Anya. We're around, come, come get us and say, I, I don't even know what this means. I don't even know if I've ever even said yes to Jesus. Because I'm here to tell you, 22 years ago, I was rescued from the depths of despair. I was in such a dark black place I didn't feel love at all. And now I've got so much love to give because I was rescued 22 years ago. Let's start asking people what our rescue story is. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being an amazing God who gives us grace and mercy and a love that never fails. Your love is perfect, Lord. And thank you for giving us a hope that no matter what, how big of a hot mess we are, that you use messy people to love other messy people. And Lord, thank you so much for not giving up on us, for not saying, oh, wow, these guys are knuckleheads. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that we will be compelled to either know you more and, get, and, and get, understand a rescue story or we will n try to know you more and understand that your love should compel us to go and do likewise. Lord, let us, Element City Church, be a church that loves. In your name we pray, amen.